everybody. On today's episode, we're talking about mental health. Our guest today is Rhonda Wiersma. Rhonda graduated from the Westminster Theological Seminary, the Masters of Arts in Biblical Counseling, and she holds a degree in child and youth care from Grant McEwen University in Edmonton. She currently works four days a week at Elisha House, counseling individuals and couples, as well as facilitating biblical healing groups. In the episode, we talked about all things related to mental health. We dove into biblical counseling versus Christian counseling. Uh, we talked about the different attitudes toward mental health and the stigmas, both inside the church and outside the church. And finally, we also talked about how you can help those in your life struggling with their mental health and how you can help counsel them in your own way as well. So we hope this episode is uh, informative and helpful to all of you out there. Please let us know what you think about it. And without further ado, please enjoy this episode on mental health. All right, well, we're here today, episode 15. We are talking about mental health, and we have today in the podcast, Rhonda Wiersma. So thank you for joining us, Rhonda. You're welcome. Glad to be here. Very excited to have you. Yeah. So, yeah, we're going to talk about mental health. So I think before we really get into it, maybe we'll just discuss, yeah, who you are, kind of your background and story, and, and kind of what you've you've done in that area. So feel free to take it away there, Rhonda. Sure, I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, I just feel a little young to be on the podcast anyways, talking about mental health, because that is... It's a big topic. Right? Oh, for sure. Like yeah. What we were talking about earlier. And yep. so, yeah, um, my name's Rhonda and I, I'm, I work as a counselor. Mm-hmm. I have my master's degree from Westminster Theological Seminary out in Philadelphia. And I trained under CCEF, which is a Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation, I think it's called out there. It's just known by CCEF. And I currently work at Elisha House, beautiful time counselor there. And Doing all that jazz. Okay. That's in Welland? Yes. Yeah, Welland, Ontario? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So Niagara region, for people who don't know. Yes. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. Yeah. And so uh, how long have you been at Elisha House? I think I've been there for five and a half years already, which is insane how quickly it's gone by. Yeah. 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 Nice. And so what's like a a day-to-day kind of like for you at Elisha House? what What are you doing there? Typically, I'm counseling people. That's my day-to-day uh, counseling people. I do four to five counselees a day, an hour session long each, and then case notes and other administration tasks, and then whatever else I decide to throw on my on my load for the yeah. day. <laughs> okay. So, wow. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah I was going to ask you, so what kind of inspired you to get into this line of work? Yeah, that's a it's a question that is always asked, right? Because you always think that a counselor has got some kind of story with with stuff that's brought mm-hmm. them into counseling, and that's true. I I had a regular kind of growing up, I guess, um, and I grew up actually in Alberta. Okay, cool. And then, yeah, just experienced my own different struggles with people and mental health. Was in was bullied at school, um, probably struggled uh, with depression and anxiety as a result of that. Um, And then in my teen years, had the typical teen stuff and was dealing with some stuff there and did some really Mm -hmm. unhealthy choices in my life and just ended up being a really prickly kid. (laughs) So (laughs) I went to counseling myself and yeah, I just kind of realized, okay, I'm probably not the only person struggling with this. So mm, right. I'd like to 
It was a little facetious of me, I think, as a teen, thinking I could do a better job than other people around me growing up. But oh, yeah. that's more or less what drove me into counseling was thinking, man, if if there's so much of a gap that I'm experiencing, then I want to kind of fill that gap as much that's as I can. So oh, cool. Try to improve the help a little bit. Try yeah. to improve the help a little bit, get rid of some of the stigma there. But yeah, God has a way to humble you too when you jump into something yeah, really proud sure. like that. So yeah. yeah. It's been fun. So how was that journey uh, when you started schooling? Was would you start schooling with the intent of doing that right away? The counseling and when I when I decided to switch, so yeah, I was training. I was hoping to become a paramedic actually originally first. Oh really? Okay. So I was in the medical field and doing a lot of that stuff, and I still actually really miss that. Um, but now, actually, kind of thinking about that, I was actually considering doing chaplaincy originally. Instead, just not as a ordained pastor or anything like that, but chaplaincy as in regards just working in the hospital and okay, trying yeah. to oh, fill in cool. that gap because it, it fits with the medical field as well because I yeah. still have a huge interest in that. Right. But then, yeah, my journey was once I switched over from paramedics, then I moved into child and youth care because my transcript from school wasn't actually good enough to get to the social work program. Yeah. And then from that, I moved into the degree of child and youth care in Edmonton. And then I moved out to Philadelphia, hopped on a train in Montana. And three days later, it spat me out in Philly. And w- yeah. So, so what was the impetus for that? Like that's a long ways to go. It is school. a long ways to go. For one thing, I think I just wanted to get away from people. Yeah. I just wanted an anonymity, hmm. if that's the word that you're looking for. Yeah, yeah. And then as well, I was looking at CCEF in regards to, because I had been in contact, or not really in contact, but I had read a number of Ed Welch's books. I don't know if you're familiar with who Ed Welch is. No, not particularly, no. no. Perhaps okay. we should be, but you can enlighten us. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So he's written a really num- a number of really good books, When People Are Big and God is Small, um, Depression is Stubborn Darkness. Uh, and that was actually one of the first books that I had read is Depression of Stubborn Darkness. And I was like, oh, this stuff, this guy knows what he's talking about. It right? makes some sense. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, it was making some sense. And it wasn't just about description. It wasn't just about, hey, you need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It was like, oh, this is how God speaks into depression. This is how mm. God speaks into anxiety. And so that literally blew my whole world apart. And I'm like, okay, I want to go and train under these guys. So then I Googled cool. CCF, found out that they were connected to Westminster. I thought, well, this is it. I guess I'm going to get my master's in counseling. So well, there you applied, go. Cool. got accepted and headed out. Yeah. Oh, neat. Neat. That's amazing. Yeah, That's, it was fun. So you mentioned earlier, uh, like growing up, like you saw like the stigma of mental health and that was something you wanted to address uh, by becoming a counselor. Mm-hmm. Do you think, um, well, in your own little way, perhaps being able to help that, but also just broadly mm-hmm. as a culture and then maybe specifically in the church culture, has that actually improved has the stigma gone down does it kind of remain the same or what are your thoughts on that in general generally i don't know i think i think when it rains outside in the world it's going to drip inside the church okay so there is still an aspect i think of i wouldn't necessarily call it a stigma but i think i would call it a resistance to weakness i don't think we like to be weak and people were struggling with mental health like depression anxiety struggle with weakness in a different way and they struggle with neediness in a different way and as people human beings we don't like to be needy we we like to be needed we don't like to be needy Mm -hmm. we like Mm. to be strong we don't like to be weak but that's not the way christian culture ought to operate god has shown in second corinthians that he chooses the weak or sorry first corinthians to he chose the weak things of the world to shame the wise he chose the insignificant things of the world to shame the significant Mm. and that's the way that 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 Christian culture ought to look like 
But it's not that way because culture outside of our church tells us that, you know, you got to you got to move you up the ladder. You got to get to the best places. You got to make a name for yourself. You got to have significance. You got to have acceptance. And I think we we absorb or we adopt that mentality. Mm -hmm. And so then it is it's a struggle to know how to be weak for one thing. Um, for me still, I don't like to be vulnerable. I don't like mm. to be needy. Um, sometimes I get caught up in this mentality of, oh, I'm a counselor. I got to get all my stuff together and people yeah. got to look at me and they got to, you know, she's yeah, she's right. got a smile on her face and everything's happy and good yeah. in her life. Right. Um, so that's been something that God is still working with me is just teaching me mm. that I can cry in front of people and it's okay to show emotion. It's okay to be weak. Um, yeah. But I think that's, that's a struggle for us Christians. Yeah, that's interesting. I guess that's across the board, though, for it's people. That's, it just it seems like a human, uh, a human nature kind of thing that you know, you don't. Yeah, you don't want to be vulnerable. It's you always want to be, you know, putting up this brave front for everybody, right? But, yeah, yeah. Hmm, that's and, interesting. Well, and is that like always a bad thing to be? Like, I guess you don't want to be denying yeah, your emotions that are really there, but also. I don't think you also want to be giving into your weaknesses all the time, right? <laughs> yes. Like maybe this gets into what mental health is perhaps. Well, but. yeah. I, I wonder if you can even talk about mental health without even talking about emotions. Um, I've been thinking about emotions for quite a, quite a few years as a counselor. Obviously, I'm trafficking in emotions. That's what I do is work. Uh, and I and I think as people who are fallen, I think as a re one of the consequences of the fall is that we've become off-balanced people. We're one extreme or the next extreme. Mm. So I think in some ways, maybe church culture where we have come out of is stuff it. Don't express emotions. Emotions are the caboose on the train. Emotions can't be trusted. We've moved into now a culture of embrace these emotions, express yeah. your emotions. You are your emotions. Yeah. But mm. the middle ground is engage those emotions. So engaging means that you take your emotions and you look at them through the lens of scripture. You're, you're using emotions kind of as a check engine light to kind of use it for guys. Maybe that'll well, be more helpful there. Mine was literally on the way here. So what are your emotions telling you about what you value, about mm. what you fear, about what you're desiring in this moment? Who are you worshiping? Who are you turning to? Who are you trusting? Those emotions will tell you lots of things. And so then you, you bring those those judgment statements, if you will, to God and you examine them under the light of scripture. And, and then it, it, that's, that's when you start either self-denying, right? Okay. I, this emotion is telling me that when I'm valuing, okay, I was driving here. I'll admit a little weakness here. It's like, I get very <laughs> impatient with slow people, especially people that go, you know, from 70 to 90. Oh, join the club. Oh, terrible. oh it's so frustrating. <laughs> yeah. So I was driving here. I was like, okay, I'm getting really impatient. I'm getting really hot out of the collar. And I just want to pass this person. All right, Lord, <laughs> I'm not valuing patience right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I had to literally talk myself down and say, God, these, these, this is wrong. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not going to do this. And I'm going to grit my teeth yeah. and I'm going to be patient. Yeah. Mo the culture around us doesn't like to say, you know, you should do that with your emotions. Yeah, right, right. That right. makes any sense how I'm yeah. talking about it. That's interesting. Uh, is, so do you view uh, like a stoicism that because we we kind of like, I guess that's kind of like a mask for your emotions almost, right? Where you're like. You're just shielding your emotions behind a face where, you know, so people, people can't see that. Yeah, it's wrong. That's wrong? Mm -hmm. Oh, like stoicism is wrong. Yeah. Um, my description of stoicism is wrong? Or no, is no, that no, no. Stoicism, stoicism is wrong. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah okay, yeah. so <clears throat> it's wrong to do that. So if um, 
is is that different from um like maybe using your emotions as like a like a check or like not really valuing your emotions as as you know the highest gauge of you know reality in your life i guess because that's kind of what you're describing right like it's like um use your use your emotions to to test um what's going on not necessarily to 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 be the facts to be the facts in yeah. what's going on exactly exactly because emotions are variable some days you'll be happy and excited over a situation that the very next day you could be really sad yeah. about mm. and mm -hmm. so in that way i think then it also takes away the stereotype of a negative and a positive emotion because we oftentimes view a negative emotion as depression or anxiety or sadness or anger or frustration. Right. And we view the positive emotions as happiness and excitement and joy. But mm. if we have that black and white, again, that's an kind of off-balanced <laughs> way of looking at emotions, yeah. then we would say that to be sad at a funeral is an inappropriate thing. Well, right. it's not, right? Yeah. It's not about negative and posi positive. It's about appropriate and inappropriate. Right. Okay. Yes, yes. So there's just emotions and it's based on context. Yes. Yeah. Okay. More so stoicism would just like, it's just like masking everything. Yeah. But then using that emotion to gauge what, what reality is and, and then how you should react to it. Yeah. Like I guess stoicism for me would be more of you stuff your emotions, you deny your emotions, you pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you say emotions don't exist. Mm, I'm not right. going to feel those things. Mm -hmm. One way or the other, I right. guess. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, maybe break that down a bit because I've maybe, maybe I'm wrong here, but that's probably in my estimation, the, the kind of the dominant sort of way we treat emotions in the church circles, at least. Yeah. It's very much oh, just like. I would think so. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's it's just kind of in the culture. I don't know if that's a Dutch thing, a Dutch Canadian thing. I'm not sure exactly, but that was always the impression, whether good or bad. It was just, hey, just kind of set that stuff to the side and you know, stiff upper lip and all that. Yeah, does that like which, go along with like working hard? Which like, yeah, maybe yeah. which probably has some value, but I think it, maybe it's gone too far. So maybe mm -hmm. break that down and, and talk biblically about why that might not be right. Yeah, there's. I, I want you to hear also what I'm saying not what i'm not saying okay. there right yeah. is that there is a time and there is a place to shove those emotions aside um just kind of for example and i'm going to pick on somebody from ccf that uses example publicly so i'm okay with using yeah. it but basically he was in seminary he was in his final week of exams and his dad had cancer and he actually died during his exam week oh, yes. so he put away he's like okay i need to focus on this exam I got to do this exam. I'm not going to, you know, wait with this exam because these grief feelings aren't going to go away. So he had to put those emotions aside and say, I'll deal with you guys later. Right now, I'm going to focus on my exam. Okay. Um, when I have a really hard day mm. at the office, I'm not going to sit there for my next counseling and be completely absorbed in those emotions that I'm trying to process. I have to put those emotions aside and mm. walk ahead. So, and, and so I think sometimes that's where we kind of go wrong as well as where we want to embrace those emotions and say, well... I'm just going to share these emotions because if I'm not act on these emotions, then I'm not being my genuine, authentic self. But there's a time and there's a place to put those emotions aside as long as we don't bury them or stuff them, as long as we take them to God. So part of that engaging is mm. taking that ugly mess sometimes to God and saying, blah, <laughs> yeah. I hate this. This sucks. This this is hard. That's where the Psalms can really come in as a lament. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in right. those places. So you want to talk to a person who is God, who can actually do something about those emotions. You don't mm -hmm. want to just have it like a dryer ball in your head cycling constantly right. either. And that's why I like the word engage because you're engaging with God in those places. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess where it gets tough is that like it's, um, 
I guess in the example you identify, it's like um, you can put your emotions aside to get through a certain thing. But if you continually do that, um, you know, as a as a way to cope, like say just with your your everyday life, um, I guess that's where it kind of that becomes burying your emotions instead of you know setting them aside, you know, appropriately. I guess for a time. Yeah. So I guess uh, there's no real line. Like I can't really ask you like, where's the line? But like, um, welcome to mental health. Yeah, there is no line. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> but I guess I like, everyone's different, I guess. Right. But yeah. Are there some indicators though, that would be like, um, a healthy balance or very hard to say. There probably is. I wasn't really necessarily prepared to talk about this right yeah, today. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just there, fascinating. Yeah, it is. <laughs> if you want to read more about it, there, there's a great book called Untangling Emotions by Alistair Gross and Winston Smith that I would just encourage okay. Oh, yeah. you to, we will throw in the show notes. to read that. So, yeah, because cool. um, there probably is definitely a balance, but I think it's for each person. And I think it's probably why are you even trying to stuff those emotions and why are you avoiding them when you have the time and the opportunity to actually start working through them? Oh, well, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. So yeah, that was interesting. So maybe before we get any farther into this, um, I know you said at the beginning, mental health is like a super broad thing, but maybe if we can't f fully define it, cause it seems like it might be kind of this nebulous thing, which contains a bunch of different, you know, mm. aspects. What are some signs of, of, good mental health and what are some signs of poor mental health and maybe that plays into what we just talked about about regulating your emotions and somewhat i'm guessing yeah that's a big question as well and i was trying to think about how to prepare for that question and and i don't honestly i'm drawing a complete blank right now so okay so if i came to you and i said um i have a friend i'm seeing a certain amount of behavior in them and what, what kind of things are you looking for in that description that you would pull out and be like, yeah, that's a, that's a worry spot or that's a trouble sign if we're talking about <laughs> poor mental health. Can we give a more specific example? Because I think that, I, I guess for me, in maybe an easy example of, is depression and anxiety. Those are, Those are the what, big ones. We're, yeah, exactly. Sure. That's what we're really common with. Yeah. So let's say that somebody's dropping their grades in school, sitting in mm. their bed all day, sleeping all day, yep. um, on their phone constantly 24-7. I'd be like, okay, I'm a little bit worried about you, especially yeah, if that person was yeah, very vivacious before and was doing things mm. and was getting good grades and all of that stuff. I guess you're looking for more or less an opposite change in what they have done before. So it's more like life lifestyle indicators or, or yeah, indicators apart from their um, actual mental, um, uh, things, well, the things that you would be talking about in counseling, it's not like you're, um, going to be able to see that. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So you're looking for lifestyle factors. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good way of putting it. But if you know the person a little bit better, you're also just going to be looking for how their worldview in the way that they're expressing themselves is changing. Mm -hmm. So if they're mm -hmm. saying, oh, there's really, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to finish grade 12 to this year because it's just going to, you know, whatever COVID's just throwing all my plans. And yeah. Mm -hmm. all, right? yeah. And I'll just take it easy. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's no point in trying and all that stuff. You have to get to know the person really well in sure. order to start mm -hmm. hearing some of those things. Yeah. So but do you often have thing. to look to people that they know or, or I guess even to themselves, you know, an honest, um, 
evaluation of like where they were at before. Because mm-hmm. um, I guess you don't know everyone who walks in the door. So you're talking like, to me as a counselor now, if I would be sitting down and saying what's a marker of mental health and what's not a marker of mental health. Yeah, I'm just thinking if you have a new client, you're mm-hmm. not really sure what they used to be like. But so yeah, how do you how do you navigate that where you're where you say, okay, well, anybody walking into a counseling center, you know, their mental health is suffering. Yeah, right, <laughs> you're, right? you're not yeah, coming yeah. to the counseling center because, hey, my life is so great. Let me just share with you. I just got engaged yeah. and everything's going well. Yeah, yeah, everything's yeah. tickety-boo. I would yeah. love that if people would come in and just be, you know, put down their counseling <laughs> fee and let me just talk to you. It's such an easy job. You need to put those emotions aside. But, so when people yeah. come to you, uh, is it usually like they're like voluntarily coming to you or their family's like, you should, you should go get some help? Like, usually unless they're a teen. Yeah, they're right. voluntarily coming in. Yeah, mm. and does yeah. that make a difference in how you? Oh, I'm sure it does. Yeah, it's not like pulling teeth, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that could be challenging. Yeah. I would yeah. bet. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so maybe if we, if we okay, so we discussed some of the signs of poor mental health, but if you're you feel like all right, like I'm in a decent state of mental health, but it wouldn't hurt to just kind of look at your own like my own life or whatever. Be like, ah, are there any signs of like poor mental health or or some poor habits that might cause poor mental health? Um, is there a risk in over analysis there, like looking too closely? Yeah. I think that there would be, uh, I, well, maybe again, that depends on the person. There's some people who can take a look at their life and say, check, check, check. Everything looks good. I'm functioning well. Life isn't going too crazy. And then you got people like me who tend to, I always have to think of a, um, just like staring into a well and you just end up like falling into it. I'm an mm. overthinker and overanalyzer. And so very quickly my brain can just go woo and just spiral down. And then yeah. I, I work myself into poor mental health pretty oh, much, even if things are going well. So generally I've just learned, okay, I'm not going to go dumpster diving. Everything okay. looks good. Surface level. If anything comes up, God will take care of that. So I'll keep going. Okay. That's interesting here. Cause I, I probably have the same approach in terms of like, I think I'm in fairly good mental health, but every once in a while I'm like, oh, I'll take stock of my life. I'm like, all right, like, how you doing here, man? Like, but like, it's probably good. I wouldn't want to delve too further into it. <laughs> yeah. Who knows what's underneath there? Yeah. Well, you feel like, uh, yeah, I, I would say the same thing, but it feels like if you would like, if you were to go to counseling, you'd be like digging stuff up that you're yeah, like, I'm like, good. I'm just going to leave in that. Just, don't talk about that. Yeah. Is that healthy though? Or is that, or is that yeah, something that's in the stoicism? I, I don't is know. Is that stoicism though? Well, because it's not really like putting on a mask all the time necessarily. It's shoving it aside, perhaps. But I'm just saying, look, what my approach on this is, is like some stuff is just too deep. That's not even worth digging down that deep. You're like, I don't think that's changing ever. So, hmm. or you might, you know, I, rough uh, up the soil too much. Yeah, let me just, let me poke at that a little bit there for a minute. Because <laughs> that's to, why we're here. This is good. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Do you want some counseling? Yeah, I guess I'm trying to see uh, Dr. Phil, Dr. Weir's not here. <laughs> no, I'm not that far yet. <laughs> uh, one day, I'm sure. No, I, I hope I don't ever turn out to be Dr. Phil. Um... <laughs> Oh, not good counseling on that show? No. 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 Entertaining, but not this, good. This already feels a lot out of my comfort zone, let's put it that way. Okay, yeah. Um, I think that <laughs> when we're digging in scripture and we're actually working through the Bible and applying it to life, God will be bringing stuff up that we're mm-hmm. unaware of or that we need to work through. And so maybe with all of that as well is how good is your mental health is how much are you applying scripture and how much are you letting scripture change you as Mm. well? Because we're called to be growing more and more like Christ every day. And so I think part of that is then also really digging the stuff up and saying, okay, you know, I've been noticing a pattern in my life where I've been really impatient behind drivers. What is this revealing about me? 
And that may be places that you don't want to go, and that's ugly. But it's mm. not necessarily an indicator of poor mental health. It's an indicator of poor spiritual health, then, in mm, some ways, right? right? Because yeah. mental health and spiritual health go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other, I think. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. So that's actually an amazing segue into uh, the whole biblical counseling versus Christian counseling thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe, um, yeah, just break that down if you can. I mean, those are two big, broad things, I'm sure. Any of our listeners who are far more educated on the subject will start to cringe at this opening part. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, so basic. I, but I have not heard anything about these two. Yeah, so this, of is a, so this is a new dichotomy for us. Even so. the most mm-hmm. basic explanation would be great. Give us the ABCs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I will give you some of the ABCs. I'll, I, I wrote down some things here. So let me just kind of go a little bit off my list because okay. I did want yeah, to give. I'm, I'm just, I guess I'm, I don't want to step on people's toes mm-hmm. because Christian counseling does have its place. Um, I'm just more biased. I just think biblical counseling is the way to go. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> give away, give away the plot. Yeah, I'll, yeah. just, I'll just be honest yeah. with no, where I good. stand right now. Yeah. But basically, biblical counseling began with Jay Adams. I don't know if you guys have heard of the guy. No. He was really influential back in the 60, uh, 70, yeah, 60s and 70s, I believe. Some of the probably older pastors will be familiar with him. He's quite influential with trying to bring back... Um, the pastoral work into the church again, because what was happening in the 60s and the 70s and the 50s is that whenever there was issues in the church, they would just send them out to secular secular psychologists. And Jay Adams was like, no, we can we can do this work in the church. In fact, we're all called to be counselors. And so Adams started the movement. But then over time, the biblical counseling movement actually ended up splitting to two different tracks. So Adams is now what we call the Nothetic Counseling or ACBC, Association of Biblical Counselors. And then along the way, some other guys, including the late David Powelson, started the CCF kind of movement. And they are nuanced different. Um, CCF is is the way that I was trained. I can't really speak for the ACBCJ Adams way because that's not kind of my you you have to go to the master's seminary in order to get the acbc or the training online from acbc whereas i got my training from ccf okay okay so that's kind of the two students that's kind of how it started okay so biblical counseling is different from christian counseling um in the way that we're acknowledging the authority of scripture for all of life and also the sufficiency of scripture for all concerns coming at it with the basics of what does scripture say so what does scripture say about eating disorders? There's nothing mm. in the Bible about eating disorders, mm. right? But if we scratch the surface, what's underlying an eating disorder? Well, there's shame, there's guilt, there's a desire potentially for control, it's a desire for invisibility. Um, there's deep pain and deep hurt a lot of times that drive people into, into this. And all of a sudden, scripture opens up. Scripture mm. speaks about all of those issues. Shame and guilt is on every single page of Scripture, if you will. Um, dealing with pain. Well, you look at how Jesus dealt with people who had pain. Right. So we're coming at people not with psychological remedies or coping skills, but we're coming at them with the authority of Scripture saying, the Bible is not just simply an inspirational tool for you to feel better about yourself, but it's here to transform your life. And I'm going to give you Jesus, not some subset of coping skills to how to deal with anxiety we're going to teach you how to deep breathe but we're also going to talk to you about calling on god in the middle of the anxiety okay yeah right so so maybe just uh make a kind of a stark contrast what what is christian counseling and then what's biblical so you 
you kind of laid it out, but what, what, what's the big difference? Yeah. Okay. And I'm only going to speak on my experience here because again, mm-hmm. I don't want to overstep into areas that I'm not familiar with. Um, some of my own experience with Christian counseling is when I was late teens, I won't even label an age because I forget what, how old I was when I saw a Christian counselor and it was a, it was cognitive behavioral therapy with a Christian twist. So you're thinking false thoughts, then we just kind of, so let's say, um, let's say one of the thoughts was, I'm just, I'm just, I'm worthless. I'm a, I'm a piece of junk. Mm-hmm. The positive thought that I just had to replace it with was, um, God doesn't create junk. Psalm 139. So you kind of throw a Christian twist onto it. Okay. It was Christless change because it wasn't going to the bottom of my heart of why was I thinking what I was thinking. Does that make sense? So a lot of times Christian counseling will dabble in, and I'm not saying that this is 100% all the time, but a lot of times Christian counseling will simply try to replace behavior instead oh, of change the root cause. Instead of changing the root cause. So a way that we explain it in biblical counseling is if you have a poor apple tree and you got your Aunt Martha coming to visit you, and she really loves apple trees, and you're going to go out there and you're going to staple a whole bunch of fake paper apples on this tree <laughs> right it's gonna look great when aunt martha comes but then let's say a huge storm comes in when aunt martha is visiting all those apples are just gonna get destroyed mm-hmm. right because mm-hmm. the root of the trees the root of the tree is not fixed it's not producing its own viable apples right. we can't get good behavior good behavior is like building a straw house if you're not changing the heart right i see interesting so would even like a a, a secular counselor um criticize that method criticize like, the method our method well, a, christian, a christian counseling method like saying that that's not just it's just not going to the root it's not going deep enough well secular counseling doesn't <laughs> even really go to the root oh so it's similar then it's very similar I would oh argue. interesting i believe that there are christian counselors that are good at getting to the heart i'm not saying that they're not um uh, my supervisor and i were just talking about this and he had uh seen a Christian counselor and he quit Christian counseling after a couple sessions. Cause the guy was like, well, you can't love anybody else until you learn to love yourself. And he's like, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> you're not really addressing this scene in my heart. Are you right now, yeah. buddy? Right. <laughs> yeah. right. So you have to be, you have to be careful. I think with that. And I'm not saying I'm not bashing Christian counseling. I'm not saying Christian counseling is bad, but I'm just saying that they, doesn't have the depth it doesn't always have the depth that you're looking for so sometimes you're looking and you're looking and you're looking as you find a legitimate christian counselor who's like okay guys let's pull like like, i always have the (laughs) i don't know if you guys are cs lewis fans oh yeah yeah, he's right there there you go exactly (laughs) so voyage of the dawn treader right eustace and he becomes a dragon Uh, he wants to get changed Mm -hmm. he tries to change himself out of his own dragon skins the dragon skins keeps peeling off and that was my experience with christian Mm -hmm. counseling i could just keep peeling off more and more layers of my dragon skin but when i went for Mm -hmm. counseling over at ccf when i was in seminary it was like aslan god was digging his claws at me and ripping off the dragon skin and it was hurting it was hard it was brutal but i feel and i know in myself that i have changed as a result of that counseling because it wasn't just me trying to get rid of my dragon skin mm-hmm, it was god actually transforming and redeeming and renewing my heart okay in those places so it really is similar then christian counseling to a way a secular counselor would look at it but then just adding a, a like a lens of of the bible or christianity yeah. over top of it yeah just to frame some of the the things that you're trying to solve yeah 
Okay. More or less, yeah. Okay, yeah. so then... So then as a result of that, as biblical counselors mm-hmm. can get accused of being sin hunters. Oh, I see. Right? right. Because we're we're digging through the heart and, we, you know, the heart is a very mixed place of sin mm. and um, sin and grace in those places. Uh and, and I think I think in some ways I'll take that as a compliment because we too take very seriously James, right? And James one through four is like talking about you know, out of the desires of our heart comes mm-hmm. comes the fruit of us. So we take very seriously the motivations of the heart. But what we do is we we want to also be looking for the grace. So it's not like when you would come in for counseling and we're like, okay, right, you're I'm just going to pick an example just whatever an easy example pornography, right? We're not going to mm-hmm. sit in there and be like, all right, you got to quit pornography. Like just cut out the sin in your life and we'll, we'll dig into why you're looking at it. We're going to actually also, what's, what's the suffering in your life? There's a context around in here. Are you looking Mm. because you're bored? Are you looking because you're lonely? Um, Are you looking because, you know, you, you were sexually abused and now you don't know how else to handle all of those desires that got brought up in those places. So we, we do take a very serious route of looking at, the, the, I guess there's a couple, sorry, this what ha- this is what happens to me. I get like three or four different <laughs> thoughts diverging and they all want to come out of yeah. one mouth and I don't have three. So Pick it's one, a problem. <laughs> <laughs> so then in that place, we want to, we want to be looking for the way that not only God is God helping them and changing them. And we'll take a look at that counseling and say, look, listen, man, God's already at work in your life. He's bringing you here to counseling. You know, you're, you're not satisfied with this. You're, you know that this is wrong. So this is a grace of God. And we're also going to look at the suffering in those places. So the way that our modality is we look at people as in this order, in this very specific order of saints, sufferers, and sinners. And we'll never really diverge from that order. Because as Christians, we stand as saints before God, mm-hmm. and we stand as sufferers. And yes, we have to take our sins seriously, but we don't. We don't. We can't. We can't address the sin until we built a relationship with that person. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit. Okay. My rambling around here. Yeah, interesting. Trying so to sort through things. Br- break down those three categories again. Like, does it start at one of them or? Is it kind of like you, you're all three at the same time? How does that work exactly? All three at the same time. Okay. And one will be more pronounced maybe than another one in certain seasons of life. Mm-hmm. But our first and fundamental identity before God is a saint. Yeah. We are righteous in Christ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In Christ. Yeah. Um, so that's where we're going to start off. It's a nice so, comfort at the beginning, at least. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. and I think that's maybe another difference between biblical counseling and any other kind of Christian counseling is that I never look at my counselees like I'm the professional and I'm going to tell you what to do. I'm one brother or sister, or sorry, one sister, <laughs> one sister <laughs> coming alongside my brother or my sister. Yeah, right. I'm not a professional. I'm not a person who's got their life in order. I am one beggar showing another beggar where the bread is. Yeah. That's my mentality when I walk into that room. So automatically that level of expertise is just stripped away. Okay. I'm just someone coming alongside you. Yeah. I might have some more answers. I might be a little bit more along the path. I might... I know where the bread is and I know how to get the bread. So let me take you by the hand and take you there. Okay. okay. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's a lot to, that that's is a lot to piece through. Yeah. If you had to like steal men, I guess, Christian counseling, mm. could you do it? Like what are the pros compared to biblical apart from being a sin, a sin chaser, however you term that again? Sorry, say that again. 
if you, if uh, you mentioned earlier, like biblical counselors will get accused of being, yeah. I think you said sin chasers yeah. or something. Sin like, hunters. Sin yeah. hunters. Yeah. There yeah. we go. Yeah. <laughs> but if you could steal man, like make the best possible argument for Christian counseling, what's, what's their case? Do you think? With Christian counseling? Yeah. Uh, well, you are usually someone who's registered by the province. So then insurance pays for your counseling. That's a pretty good benefit right there. Oh, there you Biblical go. counseling, we fly oh, under the radar of pastoral counseling, so mm. we don't cover insurances at all. But I think with Christian counseling, it's a whole lot more accessible. Mm. I think it was just a little bit of a joke, the insurance thing up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> you can't read my face, I know. Um, <laughs> so. You two will figure it out, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I think Christian counseling overall is just more accessible. Um, Elisha House is really the only center that we know of, um, or at least the biggest center. There's a number of individual work um, in biblical counseling happening around the country, but we're one of the biggest centers in Canada that offers a hub for biblical counseling. Hmm. Oh, interesting. So, so it's not as common. No. Oh, interesting. No. No. I was kind of viewing them as like two camps of equal strength, like kind of jockeying here. Yeah, but, no. But you're... Yeah, I guess I do hear the term Christian counseling a lot more. Like, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's because Christians go into places like psychology and then they go to like Trinity or they go to yeah Trinity out in uh, Vancouver or, you know, you get your social work and then you tack on your master's level in counseling. So it's a little bit more easier to get into, if you will, Christian counseling, because you can mm-hmm. just, I'm a Christian, I'm going to go into psychology and then I'm going to start counseling people. Right. Right. So there's, there's it's a natural path. It's a way. natural path. And that was the path that I was going to go through until Westminster got shoved over into my life. And I was yeah. like, ah, Westminster, let's go there. Wow, this is helpful. <laughs> yeah. 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 Neat. So uh-huh. I guess maybe you mentioned earlier, um, Christian counselors, uh, it was you had that experience or your, I think you said your supervisor mm-hmm. was going to this guy and said, well, you can't, you got to love yourself first. Then we can start working through your other problems. And I, I feel like that's a really common um, lie that society tells us all the time. Yeah. Probably particularly for women, I would say, especially, mm-hmm. but anyway, it goes both genders too. Mm-hmm. But so how do you, as a, a biblical counselor, how do you combat that when you're, when people come in they're like, oh, you got to start with loving yourself if that's their mindset. Yeah, and I think here that every sing, every good lie has to have an element of truth to That's it. That's the tricky part about it. That's yeah. the tricky part yeah. about it. So I think in regards to that, um, I have this. Let me just find this here for a quick second because I was thinking about this. Yeah, it's one of those really prevalent kind of uh, mm-hmm. messages. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, the, but the re, like, I think we would all agree that we're selfishly orientated. Right? I, yeah, so it, it yeah. feeds or feeds our selfishness here. And so then we tend to look at interactions um, with how they'll benefit us with that regard, right? If I have to love my, learn to love myself before I can start to love other people, then we start to look at people um, as how are you going to benefit me? And if you're not going to benefit me, I'm not going to really have much use for you mm-hmm. in my life. Mm. Um, so if people crave to satisfy capital S self in their heart, God is not on the rightful throne in, in our hearts. God right. is demanding that we worship him and him alone. Or put ourselves. Right. Yeah. And so we, as like John Calvin likes to say, is that we, our hearts are idol factories. So that throne room in our hearts where God rightfully needs to sit on, God is constantly booted off that throne mm-hmm. by self, by money, by mammon, right? Whatever, right? By mm-hmm. other people. I'm I'm deathly afraid of people. Like that, that that's a that's a 
God in my heart that I have to battle with on a daily basis of what do people think about me and why do I care? Okay. Right? And so, but so if I would put self on my throne, then come and worship me, right? Benefit me, feed me. And that's part of that lie with if you... You have to love yourself before you can start to love other people. Does that make sense? Did I unpack that enough? Kind of, yeah. Yeah, but, I think so. But like the problem with like the whole love yourself thing is like it kind of makes some sense just looking at it like from just broadly because a lot of the reason people go to seek counseling is because they have a lot of uh, self-hate or like you know self-pity at least. Yeah. Maybe that's a better way of putting it. But isn't that interesting that it all starts with self? Yeah, the Aaron, self is still at the center. Exactly, exactly. And I think C.S. Lewis, again, I'm going to make me think here that I really love C.S. Lewis, and I do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he says that our, our our reality is that we are we are two, is it two quotes that I'm trying to mash together right now? Um, but we are we are creatures that are two, are, are, we're not, it's not that we don't, it's not that our desires are, to um what's the word i'm looking for to un undo too weak, weak but too strong in that way like we are people who who i guess basically in the context of all of this we love ourselves too much first corinthians mm. three four second corinthians three or four talks about being puffed up mm -hmm. right that's uh, that's our natural tendency is to be puffed up and paul's is like Forget self, yeah. self-forgetfulness. Yeah. Mm. That's where we're going to find the rightful, if you will, self-esteem by simply forgetting yeah. about ourselves. Well, it's like you mentioned earlier too, one of the effects of sin in the fall is that we kind of go from pole to pole yeah. quickly. So you can, a lot, I, think, I feel like this is probably the case, at least the people who have like a lot of issues with self-hate also have strong moments of arrogance too, probably. Self-hatred actually is on the same element as pride. It's just on the okay. flip side yeah, of yeah. pride, mm, yeah. right? Because pride is either you arrogant and you're looking down at other people or pride is also where everybody else stands on top of you and you're looking up at everybody else. Mm, yeah. It's really the, the right. two elements of pride there. Right. Interesting. Huh. Hmm. That makes so sense. Does, is that something that the world, um, that you see the world pushing more recently? Um, or is that something that's kind of always been there that... Like, I, I guess it's it's something that's inside us, but, you know, in the way our culture is changing with people wanting to identify, you know, uh, you have to identify me, you know, by these characteristics or, you know, um, like this. And also with the rise of social media, is that something that's being like um, maybe like accelerating um, a deterioration in mental health? Or do you think that it's simply there's more means now to accelerate. Yeah, right, right, right. But so, yeah, so culture has more means to mm -hmm. to make that a prevalent thing in people's minds. Yeah. Is that, is that accelerating even the, even the rate yeah. at which people are coming to counseling? I think it's definitely accelerating mental health to a, to a degree. Absolutely. Um, it's, we live in such an individualistic culture in mm -hmm. that way. It's all about yep. me, myself, and I. Yep. And I think part of the, the, the problem or the breakdown of community is accelerated mental health as well. Like it's no longer that about my community around me that's not only helping me and encouraging me, but now it's what can I get out of my community? If I can just be right. kind of very brutally blunt and honest there yeah. for a minute yeah. with that. Um, Interesting. 
I yeah, I like to look out for myself too, right? If, I, if no one else is going to look out for me, then who is going to look out for me? It's right? a natural me. instinct. It's me, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, sure, and that's that's been part of culture. That's been part of evolution, right? Yeah. That whole thing there sure. is if you don't look out for yourself, then you're going to get eaten by the next big animal kind of thing. Yeah. Um, well, and you only work together with the tribe if it benefits yourself. Right, exactly. Otherwise, you, Otherwise you cut loose. And yeah. I think that's mm. why a lot of times you see breakdowns and friendships and this sort of stuff because there's a lack of commitment to work on things because it's not benefiting you friendships family marriages, marriages yeah we see that like, everything yeah, we see that in the church too i guess like um the the innate like desire for um satisfying what you're looking for um i guess you see that everywhere like um yeah like you said marriages but then you also see it in the church like what what you prefer to see in a church service or or something like that mm -hmm. so I don't yeah. Know, I guess it's yeah. Cutting loose of churches as well, right? Is a big one as well. Like I'm just going to withdraw from church because it's not satisfying what I'm looking for. Right. Well, and we were individuals. Yeah. yeah. We were talking about with on our last episode with Mike Hutton too. Mm -hmm. We got to talk about um, different churches and this concept of church boundaries. Mm -hmm. It used to be, you know, you go to a, you move to an area, you're going to go to this church, but uh, people don't really do that anymore. Mm -hmm. They just go wherever they want, mm -hmm. which is very much a symptom. Uh, of this into individual individualistic age yeah and that's that's i think a part of the problem as well kind of going back to these emotions right of overindulging or underindulging our emotional status in that place and we've um again there was a connection and i lost it but that's okay i'll find it eventually as i keep rambling mm -hmm. um of overemphasizing what is all it's it's What's what's going to benefit my emotions, basically, right? And mm. so the problem with an idol, though, is that the more you feed it, the more it's going to demand. It promises life. It seems so right and good. So go to a church where, you know, you're getting things out of the sermon and you're getting things out of the worship. You're feeling right? good. You're feeling yeah. good. That's that seems like a good response. But the problem is with that is you're feeding an idol that's never going to be satisfied. Um, I think. What is it? Proverbs talks about the leech. Give, 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 give. Mm -hmm. tries, yeah. But never right. satisfied. Yeah. And yeah. never satisfies. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's interesting. Because your feelings always change. Mm -hmm. So there's never, there's never an angle there. Yeah. 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 Someone, yeah. Yeah, someone once said to me, uh, this was before I was married. Um, when you're looking for somebody um, to date, uh, you should, you should, what do they say? Look with your mind and then follow with your heart. Hmm. And I was like, I thought that was interesting. I mean, I don't know if that's, always beneficial as a saying but like i've kind of thought about that you know throughout my life up to this point and like if, it if, it, if it's if it's rational or if it, if it makes sense if like you know if the person is bible believing if you are you know you get along really well and you're um yeah i guess this is just this is just marriage or relationships but if you fit really well together then um your emotions can always change. Like, not that you're gonna, not like, that you're gonna fall in love after you're like, this person's a good friend of mine. She checks but, all the boxes, but like you're saying, right, she has but the don't chase, don't chase that feeling because even though, like, well, don't chase the feeling if deep down you know, like, in your, well, in your mind that it's like, well, this isn't like really, we don't really fit together or or something like that. Fundamentally, so, like values yeah. wise. So I kind of think of like I kind of frame, uh, you know. A lot of like emotional discussions around that kind of idea, right? It was the same thing with like church. So if you are going to church and you thinking, well, you know, like that that song really made me feel good. Well, it's like, well, don't follow. That's not the only variable. Don't yeah, don't look to your heart all the time. Look to your mind too. Like mm -hmm. so, 
I don't know. I guess that kind of, that makes some yeah. sense. Like you got to make sure the church has good theological underpinnings. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. to be, you know, faithful Bible believing church. And then if it seems like as a bonus, you know, if you feel great going to it and you feel like you're being inspired and, and you're mm-hmm. receiving the preaching of the world of the word. Yeah. That well, now we're like looping back to our begin the discussion at the beginning yeah. of what emotions and, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Well, you can't have a conversation without, with mental health without talking oh, about sure. yeah. emotions. Yeah. Right? I, I, did, I did want to circle back though uh, on my, the question of self-love mm. and how you c- still combat that. Cause we, we got partway through. I don't think we quite finished it there. So mm. if someone's coming into you, into your practice and, they they feel like yeah the answer is to buy self hate is to have more self love. Um, how would you go about um, getting them on the road to having love for self, but not in a, that prideful sort of way? Yeah, I think, and I can kind of speak into this as well because with any depression, there's going to be some self hatred aspect to that, and mm-hmm. that's definitely an area that I've struggled in, and one of the areas that I have. What I would encourage counselors and what has worked for me in the past is um, a couple different things, actually. One of them is serve other people. Just serve them. Just mm-hmm. love them well and serve them well. Um, because you're not focusing on yourself. You're not trying to fix the self-hatred in those places. Um, you are putting your focus back out where it belongs, right? Love the Lord your God with your whole heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. definitely one thing there. Um, other thing is is definitely tuck in your back pocket and memorize and know who, not only who is God in relationship to you, because I think sometimes we look at ourselves in relationship to who we are in God, right? We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are... Um, accepted, we are adopted, we're predestined, we're sanctified. But also, who is God in relationship to us? Well, God is gentle and lowly. He's meek. He comes to us in compassion. He comes to us in steadfast love. He comes to us slow to anger and abounding in that love. And so Mm -hmm. you need to have both of those things as well to be able to examine some of that that self-hatred and remind yourself of those things. And then the third one is, is don't engage those thoughts. When you're starting to struggle with self-hatred, it's like, yeah, it's like little natter and, you know, <laughs> radio in the background. Just, so just ignore it. And you just learn to ignore it because that sometimes is unhelpful thoughts, right? Like mm. when you're dealing with an addiction or you're dealing with um, whatever, like, okay, I'm going to tell you to not think of a pink elephant. Well, now you're thinking of a pink elephant, right? Mm-hmm. You just learn to right kind away. of, yeah, no, right? you're welcome. <laughs> Fantastic how that works. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you just learn to, okay, I'm not going to think about that. Right. Or if you're learning to not swear and all of a sudden you get these obsessive thoughts in your head mm. that are full of swear words, it's like, mm. hi, yeah. just going to ignore you. So that's mm. a healthy, uh, ignorance, I guess, if you will. Yeah. It, it's a healthy way of saying, God doesn't want me to engage this thought. I know that this thought is not helpful. No good will come of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No good's going to come out of that. So see you later. I'm not yeah. going to, I'm not going to engage with you there. And that requires a lot of self-denial because, you know, it's, you want to engage it, right? It's calling out for you to engage mm-hmm. it. So does that go back to CBT, like cognitive uh, behavioral therapy? Definitely. But I would claim that. <laughs> but how are you addressing the root? Yeah, in that? exactly. So that's, that's what here, I want to here's the thing is that all truth is God's truth. So CBT is God's truth, right? Philippians 4 says, mm-hmm. think about whatever is pure, whatever is noble, whatever is right. That That's cognitive behavioral therapy right there. Yeah. I always like to think that 
people outside in the world in my apologetics class at Westminster. I kind of mashed two big words together that I just love to say every once in a while. People outside the church are presuppositional kleptomaniacs. All right. Uh, presuppositional kleptomaniacs. So I mean, basically, presuppositionals is your presuppositions are is your worldview. Yep. Mm-hmm. Foundations. Kleptomaniacs is chronic oh, thief. They're okay. stealing constantly like like from that. Christian yeah. worldview. Oh, we have to reclaim it and redeem it. Hmm. Hmm. And show where their their current uh, assortment of worldviews is, is yeah. lacking. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Because, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. So we can we can do that with whatever, right? Um, with any psychology is is a wonderful way of looking at the world. But the problem is, is that you have you have a CBT person stroking the elephant's trunk and describing what the elephant's trunk is, and then you have a dialectical behavioral therapist describing what the um, what what the leg is, and then you have uh, a psychologist that's more um, biological basis like uh, neurology and he's describing the tail you got these three very different elements of an elephant christian can stand back and take a look and say guys you guys are describing an elephant but this is very useful information about the trunk about the tail and about we the, have the whole spine or something but we mm-hmm. have the whole we we could take 30 feet back and take a look at the whole thing mm-hmm. and see how it all works together gotcha. so we still use it. psychology we still i love reading psychology it's wonderful mm-hmm. it's yeah. great great descriptions because you're learning so much about the natural world around you. Yeah. But mm. claiming it, redeeming it, and renewing it. Yeah, that's interesting. Because yeah, there's a lot of people like are, are immediately critical of anyone who's a secular expert in psychology or something like that. Like, well, we're way too into Jordan Peterson or something mm. like that. But, I mean, he says a lot of good things that Christians would agree with. But I think it takes a, um, it takes someone to stand back from him. Yeah, which is a great analogy. Like, look at the whole elephant. And he's just looking at one piece. Yeah. I mean, he might be jumping all over the elephant, but at, you know, at one time he's talking about this and then he's talking about that. Yeah. And we can just say stoicism though, I think. I don't know if you're familiar with his ideas at all. I know I should be listening to him, but I got enough stuff on my brain that I can't cook another thing in my brain. (laughs) We'll have to have it all for round two because I'd be very fascinated to see what you think of him because he's, he's helped like is it's, it's worked for millions of people. So like, there's something there that is, that is right. But I think it, it goes back to this. I, I won't be able to say it. Presuppositional. What is it? Kleptomaniacs. Kleptomaniacs. Because he kind of does steal ideas from the Bible. Well, he he acknowledges the Bible is very helpful. He sources it. And yeah. though he's an evolutionist, which doesn't obviously make sense, um, he would steal ideas like, um, you know, you're made in the image of God. And that means, you know, and he would define that more or less correctly, I guess. And then he would, he would extrapolate that to be, you know, and this is how you deal with this in your life. But. Yeah, I mean, he obviously isn't. I don't think he's standing back far enough. His main, yeah, I would say like the gist of what he says is, um, in order to live a meaningful life, part of it is, um, uh, actually serving others in terms mm. of like, okay, you need to like take take, a, take baby steps in order to you know up your capacity and complete your tasks, and then B he talks about this a lot, like basically carrying your cross and, and struggling up the the hill toward the city of God. Mm. Now, what is the city of God? Add that's yeah he doesn't fully define that it's that's a little it's a little nebulous and yeah that's a, that's an entire <laughs> yeah. who knows but just have to read augustine's uh, city of god book there you yeah go. it's not the short one so no. yeah that that would take a while <laughs> take a few episodes so, yeah it's <laughs> on the reading list for you know who knows when when yeah. 50 maybe but should get to it one of these days but yeah like kind of the meaning is in doing the tasks that you find meaningful mm-hmm. so i feel like that's 
helpful for people. I'm not sure if it's long-term helpful, certainly not eternally, but mm. that's kind of, that's kind of where he's coming from, but maybe we should just back up before. Cause we just kind of went with CBT and we we're like, oh, everyone knows what that is, but maybe you can just explain that quickly for the folks at home. What is CBT? Sure. CBT is cognitive behavioral therapy. So that is with the presumption that your thoughts influence how you're going to emote and then your thoughts and your emotions combined is going to determine on how you behave and so if we start with the mm -hmm. cognitions of changing how you think then your emotions will typically follow your thoughts not all the time and even if they don't then just start behaving differently and all of that stuff will start to change and i think that there's some usefulness in there too is that emotions can't be forced, <laughs> right? You can be thinking all the right things. You can be doing all the right things. And your emotions are still like, I don't want to do these dishes. This mm -hmm. really sucks. Mm -hmm. But you're doing them anyways, right? Yeah. So so it's kind of a, it, the idea, I guess, is kind of a snowball effect. Is mm -hmm. that like you kind of put it into work and put it into motion and hopefully it improves things. And it, it seems to be, from what I've seen at least, to be very successful for people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it is. Because it it is probably one of the deepest secular uh, counseling methods out there because it's actually moving beyond of simply change how you feel or poor you, your genes are such and such mm. away and you're determined by your context and your environment and you're a victim. And so just kind of continue with the victimhood. It's actually moving into you are active. You're not just simply a passive being yep. in mm. the world. You're yep. active so you can change, you can choose. And I really appreciate that about cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So it's changing the mind by changing your behavior instead yeah. of the other way around, I guess. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. And, and changing your thoughts, which will change your behavior. It's kind of oh, like yeah. a mic-mash of, of all oh, of three yeah. of them together. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. yeah that's cool. Like laying, laying up. Yeah. You think, then you, then you emote. You're then you're, then you're, there's your emotions. So then you behave based yeah. on all that. Yeah. yeah and it kind of just cycles like that. Jonathan yeah. Haidt, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with his work at all. Okay, he's a he's a psychologist. I don't know the specific discipline. He's quite in social, actually. Okay. Social psychologist. He wrote this book uh, with Greg Lukianoff, who's um, he's just a lawyer, but he has a whole history of just using. You know, yeah, <laughs> just a lawyer, but in, in this discussion, <laughs> in this discussion, you know. But he used CBT. Uh, like he had tried to take his own life, then he like used CBT and was recovered successfully. But they wrote this whole book on. Um, Generation Z mm. and the whole rise of the safe space culture and uh, and fragility and like wanting to do away with anything like the whole mantra like mm -hmm. if it doesn't kill you it makes you it makes you stronger the opposite of that is is what's being taught to that generation which mm -hmm. my generation i guess mm -hmm. um so they wrote that whole book on that and one of the the things they recommended to help fight that attitude is cbt because yeah. you take on voluntarily take on challenges yeah mm -hmm. and it's proven as one of the most successive mm -hmm. successful sorry yeah. um psychology or therapies out there yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Interesting. I mean, this discussion is flying by. We only got like half an hour left. So I want to make sure we get oh, some wow. other good stuff in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm super fascinated. Maybe uh, just go back to Elisha House for a sec. Like, who are the types of people you typically help in your work? Like, is Elisha House uh, it's more pregnancy centered in terms of uh, women? Or like, do you do women and men, younger people, older people? How does that work? So we have kind of two arms, if you will, to the okay. ministry. We have the unplanned pregnancy or right. uh, yeah. side of it so that's usually where we'll be not not it's been changing we don't usually always have we do get a lot of church women coming through that through that side as well so we're working mostly with um unchurched or um, unbelievers coming mm -hmm. through the pregnancy side and then the counseling side we're usually seeing more of the churched folks coming through okay 
Um, and that is men, women, some kids, some teens, um, marriages, families. Oh, so all across broadly. the board, yeah. yeah. But what's really unique about it is that we offer free counseling to the women who are coming in through the unplanned pregnancy side. Oh, that's awesome. So I'm usually the main counselor for that. So I actually have tons of interactions, which is so much fun with a lot of unbelieving people, women. Yeah. And it's been, it's been a real joy to work with them. It's not like we're, they know that we're a biblical counseling center. So they know that we're Christian. And so it gives us kind of an opera platform as well to operate out of. And I always tell the, the young ladies that I'm working with, like I said, I'm never going to shove Christianity down your throat, but I'm also not going to be afraid to say, you know, that Jesus can help a lot with that. Mm, yeah. <laughs> that sort of thing. And they're, yeah. they're open to it. And um, yeah, I'm just working with a young lady right now and was able just to have some really good conversations about the differences between karma and grace. And oh, it's just It's yeah. just been fun, right? You, you you get challenged in your own mind and you have to think, yeah, how would you talk to somebody who, you know, it's on an abstract thing of why me? <laughs> yeah. Mm, so yeah. It's, it's been fun. It's been definitely That's cool. sharpening of my own faith in some ways in yeah, regards sure. to that. That's cool. And how do these women, they just get recommended to your the center or how does how do they come to Elisha House? Yeah, we do a lot of advertising. Okay. Um, yeah. So usually yeah. on Facebook and Instagram and stuff like that was where we'll get it. And then word of mouth, we have, we've been in operation for 30 years so oh, wow. people yeah. are very familiar yeah. with who we are in the community yeah, yeah and then we get some really un unplanned or okay. unintentional uh advertising through through some of the uh, pro-abortion um oh yeah i would imagine people out in our area as well yeah. so yeah they will they'll, they'll put us on their website we'll get some Don't women walking here. in through like heard that you guys do unplanned pregnancy support can you help me <laughs> so it's kind of neat that way yeah that's cool yeah. oh that's amazing yeah that's some that's some real pro-life work right there mm. yeah. i'm sure you saved saved lots of babies that way which is fantastic awesome. um maybe we get to, we did talk a little bit about this earlier but like i guess this is a good because kind of segue into it because you have the two arms of elisha house what are some of like the key differences you see in mindsets in terms of unchurched people coming in for counseling and people uh, within church circles? This answer might shock you a little bit, but in some ways, not a lot. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Yeah. And I, I think the, hmm. let me, let me unpack that a little bit. And I'm putting that out there kind of bluntly, just maybe to get your attention there, but it's. Oh, it's a good clip. Yeah, it's a good clip. Just stop it there, right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I think in in many ways, God has become a very abstract person in their lives, um, void of their struggles. How on earth is God going to speak into my struggle in mm. this? And I, mm. and I think that's the joy of the work that I do as a counselor is that I do just a lot of pastoral ministry. Um, there's not a session that doesn't go by that we have the Bible open and we're busy looking and helping this person see how God addresses their struggles. And that's and once that person starts grasping that they can go to God and start talking to God and have this relationship with God is really when change starts to go. But honestly, from an unbeliever to a Christian walking in, the Christian knows that God exists, knows that, has that fundamental belief, has those that knowledge, but is wrestling just as much as the unbeliever of how does God fit into my story. Mm. That's why so they I might say walk in way. with the Bible, but it's not necessarily open. Right, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or if it's open, it's just confusion and it's frustration. And that's right. that's a, again a little bit different there as well. But mm -hmm. it's just been the real joy of pointing people to Jesus and yeah, having them actually really develop a personal relationship with him and 
Yeah. You're going to him. Like, it's just. That, you see how that the, would turn into like almost a Bible study. Because <laughs> you're just it, like, it does. you open so the Bible and like, oh, wow. Okay. And you, you, yeah, I guess once you, once you start seeing that in yourself, then you can be like, oh, wow. Okay. Tell me more. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. 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 And I think that's one of the perks of why I love my job so much is because I get to witness that metamorphosis of people growing from God doesn't care about me to <laughs> crying out to God in, yeah. in the counseling sessions. And wow. it's just, it's amazing. It's beautiful to see. It's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. It, it really goes to your point about you can't have good mental health without good spiritual health yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. as well. Yeah. Your vertical represents your horizontal and your horizontal represents your vertical. So it goes hand in hand. Oh, your relationship go. with God is going to be reflective on how you view people and how you view people is oftentimes how you view God as well. Oh, clip number two right there. There you go. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. That's, that's not me. That's too, not too. me. That, that, that's from somebody over at CCF. Yeah. Don't, don't. That's a great I'm, quote. <laughs> I'm not going to plagiarize myself there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. How about, uh, we talk about differences between church and unchurch, but what about men and women? Do you find, I'm sure, I'm sure there's a difference there. Yeah, I actually ended up talking to my supervisor about this because he's a guy and I'm like, so mental health with guys, what do you do? He's like, oh. <laughs> hey man, so we, yeah, we, we, we kind of process that through a little bit. And reality is, is that we are all created as image bearers. So that means that across the board, we all have emotions. Mm-hmm. And we all, the, I think the only difference... I guess not the only difference, but one of the major differences is is simply the sexual differences between a male and a female. But other than that, males and females have the same calling on God in their life. And so Mm -hmm. I think in some ways how males and females deal with mental health is is more of the struggle because of the stereotypes that we put on males and females. But we like... In our culture, males, you know, don't talk about your problems. I mean, you guys could probably speak into this a little bit more. Oh, yeah, what yeah. are some things that you guys hear as guys about mental health? Yeah, like we were saying, like oh, when uh, the idea of this episode came up, mm-hmm. I put out the call on Instagram. So we got some feedback on that, which yeah, hopefully we get time to get to some of those questions at the end. But mm-hmm. one of those, um, actually, well, we can just flip to her. Yeah, here we go. It says, um, we got this from, from one of our uh, followers on Instagram. How to deal with a culture that encourages men to be more feminine, that would be like the secular worldly culture, and express their feelings as a way of getting rid of their, quote, toxic masculinity. Now, that's a whole other kettle of fish, but that's kind of one extreme. <laughs> yeah. While, and this is this is from, from the listener, while also being part of a church culture that tells you to, quote, man up and not seek help on mental health issues. Now, I'm not, I'm not sure if that's entirely fair, because I think there is a bit of a change happening there. But I, I would say well, we, like, did, we did speak to that that stoicism of like, but yeah, that might be more prevalent like in ex- men too. An example I brought up when we were talking about this before the show is like if you worked in construction and like you had to, mm. if you were like, I should go see a counselor. And you're like, All right, I got a three o'clock appointment, appointment with the counselor. Like, hey guys, I'm taking off to go see the counselor. And like, what? Like, what kind of fairy are you? Like, no one does that. And like, you know, if you had a doctor's appointment, maybe. Yeah. But like a counselor? It's just so I think... That's probably how I would react too. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's a good reaction, mm-hmm. but it probably represents the current stat, status. For, but I for think men. it is changing. I think that there is something to that. That a little bit, but that's probably broadly true. Still, I would say, yeah, yeah maybe. And yet, there's women that I know of who struggle with just as much as a guy does to show weaknesses. Mm, right? Really? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, there's it's probably a, just a distribution. Like right? it's just. Well, I, I think mean, both women generally are more like touchy-feely like share their emotions with each yeah, other generally generally but, yeah. but okay, it, 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 yeah. I, I, th- I think that's the problem about those categories of feminine, uh, uh, feminine 
effeminate and femininity is because what is that? It's basically just cultural mandates of how females should act and how females shouldn't act. You go Based to, on patterns that we see at large. Though, at say. large. But then we go back to scripture and we see David, he's killing a lion on one hand and storming the harp in another hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. You All can right? be in touch with the feminine you, you, side. You too. can be touched in your so-called feminine side. But I don't even think, I would strip away that 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 concept of that's your feminine side is to be emotive. Mm-hmm. God created us with emotions. Mm-hmm. He created you guys with emotions. When you're in touch with your emotions, you are more human than mm-hmm. the guy who's not in touch with his emotions. Right. Yeah, that's something like, yeah, I think if if guys went through a, like a series of counseling, it would be like, yeah, I mean, you guys it, would could all to- be it could totally, it could <laughs> totally it change the way that you look at it. Yeah. But I think um, we would also we process issues differently, too. Like you do. Yeah. Like there's a classic thing where like women will just kind of get like will kind of build resentment and then like not like that. Maybe there's a cat fight breaks out eventually. But guys are just like either like. It just comes to a clash and you like fight it out typically and then you're you're done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And women up. typically like to talk and talk and talk and talk and then talk some more. And it kind of just And it's circulates. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and then guys are just like, can you just get to the point? Is it about the nail or is it not about the nail? Kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have seen that clip on YouTube. No. It's okay. not about the nail. Oh, you do need to take a look at it. I'll show okay. it to you guys after. <laughs> okay. so, yeah. It's great. It, it's the classic example of the differences of communication between a man and a woman. Yeah. It's not about the nail. So basically mm-hmm. it's a woman sitting on the couch for you listeners just pause it now and go listen to the video Um, it's on YouTube it's not about the nail but it's about this woman sitting on the couch and she has a nail protruding from her head and she's complaining Mm. about what this nail all does and the guy's like looking at her and being like if you just pulled it out you wouldn't have your sweater snagging on it. You wouldn't have such a headache. And she's like, it's not about the nail. Just listen to me. <laughs> so she just wants to be heard. I guess. She just wants to be heard. Okay. Yeah. So in that way, there is definitely that difference there. But again, it's. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. that's kind of what I'm getting it's at. It's like it, yeah. as a counselor, like how would you, it, there might be the same fundamental issues, but how a man would, would best solve the problem or how a woman would best solve the problem is going to be different. I would think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. men like to solve problems too. That's, oh, always, yeah, that's, that's definitely thing, like yeah. a, um, you know, men are always looking for, well, in general, are looking for a problem that they can just solve. It's like, well, okay, well, let's just, let's just talk about it and then let's just get past it. Right. Mm-hmm. Whereas, yeah, I don't, I don't know that women get past like, or, or need to get past it. They take a different approach. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because yeah. men will just be like, okay, let's deal with it. Then it's gone. And like kind of like bury it or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think that's more readily our. Is that a fair assessment? I think so. I think you see that on little guys playing on the playground, right? They just have a brawl over something. They fight it out and someone gets a black eye and then they're friends again, Mm. right? Girls, they, you know, ignore each other for six years and then they finally become best friends. I don't get that. I'm a a type of person who's like, talk to me, figure it out. Let's fix it. Let's deal Mm. with it. And I feel like that, I feel there's an emotional word that I'm trying to get away from more. Yeah. But I think that in some ways it's... You're more human when you can communicate and you can just talk about these things because God did give us language. And so whether it's a quick fix and for a guy, it's going to have to learn to slow it down sometimes and say, okay, it's not just, you know, fixing the room or getting a laundry machine set up and you're in the thing there. Mm. It's Sometimes there's going to be more to unpack. And then a guy's temptation is going to be just like, well, it's done and over with. It's in the past. We don't need to talk about this anymore. We talk, I think this comes out quite a bit in counseling when it comes to sexual sin. So if a guy has committed adultery, he kind of expresses this to his wife. It's off his chest. Let's move on. Whereas he needs to learn 
to see that there's it's like an octopus. You got the body of it. And then there's eight different legs of it all in different places of mm-hmm. your life that you have to deal with. And so, yeah, in one hand, yeah, you just get over it. But in other hand, you don't just get over it. Right. Right. Mm. You have to kind of also see that it's not just a simple move on. Mm. Right. I don't know. So guys would be more clean. I don't know if I'm pushing my femininity on you guys now. (laughs) That that kind of makes sense as well. But my my thought is like, if, if a man, like apart, apart from the relationship end of it, like if, if um, a guy is struggling with something and deals with, you know, say what you call the octopus body, is that enough for a man usually? Or is it still something that like seeps back in because all the tentacles and all over the world? You know, because those things are still in his life too, not what, just what in her life. What do you think? Life. You think if you just deal with the octopus head and then those tentacles are still alive and kicking? Well, I feel like the, 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 the guys can bury some of those things somehow. They'll die out because they're not connected to anything anymore. No, that's true because you guys do have boxes, <laughs> analogy, which I don't get. <laughs> yeah, we compartmentalize. I don't better. get that. I don't know how you guys do that. Just, yeah. just, just waffle brains. I don't like it. Waffle brains. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Waffle brains. Ego head over here. Yeah. Belgian, Belgian waffles. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I don't counsel guys for this reason. Cause I just find it. Mm. Um, sorry, males. I find it just a little frustrating because I have a way of explaining things to females. I'm like, you get it. And then for a male, they're like, huh? So oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. So that, oh, there's a difference in our best today. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> so I, trying hope to understand. So, yeah. I think we're on the same page. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious though, because, um, we said, well, um, we talked that, that, that men and women are, bo- are both image bearers, which is, it's true. Um, but men are also called to have a role of leadership and, and women are called to have, you have to be very careful when you phrase this part of it. Um, it's not, it's a supporting role, I guess, but helper, a helper. Yeah. Yeah. Um, eight, sir. I think it's a Hebrew. Is, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, that, that's always a tough thing to talk about, especially in our, in our culture. Mm-hmm. But, um, does that frame a little bit of how men and women deal with different, um, things mentally? Like, I think that, yeah, I mean, it's harder, harder for me to, well, let me say, let's say this way, I guess, like as a leader, um, I think you wouldn't want to show as much vulnerability um, in general. So, you know, your your king isn't going to be speak, like sobbing all the time. And we well, we see that with Justin Trudeau. Like he's a he's a like more emotional person than you would anticipate to be the leader of yeah. a country. Yeah. Right. And so you put on to him, um, I guess, a more of a feminine trait mm. or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, is, it, is it something to to the biblical? Um, way that leadership is phrased that creates this in church or in men's minds that you know mm. you need to be the stoic emotion i'm just going to take a step back here i think we're kind of looking at an elephant really closely out oh, here yeah, right so you know good. i'm just going to take a step back <laughs> jesus strikes a perfect balance between masculinity and femininity that we need to look at mm. right mm. so yes and no right, right. in regards to your question Situation? jesus was a leader and yet he wept Mm. Right. And yet Jesus was also perfectly submissive to his father in all of those places. And so I think that in these situations of figuring out, you know, masculinity, femininity, leadership, helper, um, look to Jesus as as the perfect striker of that balance that we need to to find. It seems like, yeah, it's based on situation because, you know. At one point, he's flipping the tables of the money changers. Yeah. But yeah, he's also weeping over the death of Lazarus, yeah. who he raises from the dead. Yeah. So, like, and he's mm. very much of a leader. 
in those places as yeah. well. And yet mm-hmm. shows significant vulnerability. I was going to say, to your point about that, right. I think there's a, a certain amount of strength, maybe not too much vulnerability, but like a certain, uh, a select, a wise amount, perhaps like that Christ showed mm-hmm. is actually a big yeah. strength. Like in your Trudeau example, I think that actually yeah. serves him quite well. Mm-hmm. I think that actually, he's very vulnerable. not to bring Jordan Peterson's name back into it, but that guy, the way his, I think it's just, it's not a show at all. I think that's exactly who he is. It's very he shows, he shows a lot of emotion, a lot of time. And I think it's like, it helps you relate so much easier to him. Well, it does because you don't, and and sometimes this is, this is a streak that I think as a counselor that I have is that um, you can show emotion in the counseling room. And when you can self-disclose a little bit, like, yeah, I, I kind of get that. This has been my experience with that. You build rapport and you build trust way sooner than if you're mm-hmm. just, and it kind of maybe goes back to that weakness, neediness thing. If you don't show weakness and neediness, are you truly human? No, you're not. Mm. So you're not going to be necessarily trusted. Right? You right. show a little bit of emotion. You show a little bit of vulnerability. And all of a sudden people are like, I can relate to you. And I, right. I trust you because you're expressing this and you've been through it. Right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And we love those stories, right? Like we love to hear, just, we love to hear people talk about the story. And I guess that's why like Jesus is the perfect example because mm-hmm. Jesus went through the, the things that we go, we go through. So mm-hmm. the other thing that's the other uh, example that strikes me is, is when uh, a minister would choke up on the pulpit mm-hmm. and just, yeah. just knowing, or it told, I think it totally like, it can't be fake, obviously, because you, you'll just know that right away. Mm-hmm. But it, if it, if it's real, it like brings, uh, the gravity of what he says, like, like right to you right away. Yeah. Well, you, you had, uh, pastor Bazoyan yeah. a couple of weeks ago, right. Or yeah. a couple months ago or however long that was look at the incredible impact that God has had in his life as a result of becoming public with his struggle mm-hmm. with alcoholism. And if if he would have kept that on the down low and just been super private about it, I, he probably would have been doing his own healing and his own growth. But look how much it's exploded his ministry because mm-hmm. of him being publicly vulnerable. Yeah. That's a really good point, places. actually. Yeah. yeah. There's yeah, a lot of, sure. I think that's a big part of why he resonates with so many people. Yeah. Because they see a guy who's in a position of power with a lot to lose. And he just, there's strength in being that open and that vulnerable. Interesting. Yeah, not that Actually, that, that r- reminds me of a question that I asked him because um, so I think I asked him um, something like at some point with an addiction, you have to hit a wall like, you know, so him um, in his story, everyone will remember it because that was a great uh, listen to episode. Um, he hit he hit a wall, basically, like he he came to a point where, you know, his life couldn't or his situation couldn't sustain the, the addiction. And so it all came to uh, the fore and then he was forced to deal with it. How does that happen with mental health? Because I think a lot of times we're forced to deal with things that we don't necessarily want to deal with. And sometimes that's people in our lives. And sometimes that's just a situation that we just run into. Mm-hmm. And I guess um, you said you don't want to talk about it. Um, anxiety depression too much but that i guess is like one of the ways that this manifests like very obviously yeah. and so that people can see and recognize that um are there other ways or or is there is there things that you can look for in yourself that that you can recognize um maybe yeah. this is a time to to I, get to know I, I think when you when you reach a place of your life is spiraling and you you can't you can't deal with it anymore on your own i would actually encourage people um be, like before you hit a wall, you have an issue and you have a problem. Don't try to do it alone. 
Mm. Um, at all because we weren't designed to do life on our own Um, each one is called to think what does it talk about in galatians 6 there each one is called to carry his own load but we're called to carry each other's burdens Mm. we're not meant to do this individually and so if if you're struggling with a question and it's been like running around your brain like rabbits and and breeding like rabbits you know anxieties Mm. tend to do that where you tend to have one rabbit and all of a sudden you have two and then you have three and then you have nine and then you have 20 and then you have 35 anxieties and you're like ah can't deal with Mm. this anymore yeah reach out for help right and it doesn't need to be a trained counselor it can be a friend it can be can be anybody in your life. We're all counselors, whether mm. we have good counsel or bad counselor. Counsel is basically advice and mm-hmm. encouragement. Mm. And so I yeah. just say, like, when you reach a wall of not even reaching a wall, but when you start realizing that you're dealing with things that you don't know what to do with, there's big questions, you don't know how God relates to these things, reach out. There's no shame in it. Mm. And I'm speaking to myself as well in these places because. I don't like to reach out for help. I like to deal with it myself. Again, I like to have my life control mm-hmm. in control and looking mm-hmm. all good on the outside. Yeah. Even but if my life that, is falling into shambles. But that vulnerability helps you help people. <laughs> so It's a catch-22 there, yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. But that's where humility then comes in too, right? And I think for me, I know it's definitely a pride thing as I don't want people. And it's also a vulnerability thing. I, I don't like to be vulnerable. Um, and it's a pride thing of me wanting people to look up at me and say, oh, you know. Look how good she is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She's doing such great work. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. That's so interesting because yeah. I think if you like, if you talk to a minister after he was like, had had an emotional moment or something like that on a pulpit, like, I don't know that Dale all the times would enjoy having had that, but it's so impactful. So it's like, yeah. it, you try to balance those things, right? Like, I think, uh, I think someone like Peterson has like recognized it in himself and like actually, like he kind of he doesn't lean, lean into it, but he like he's fine with it. Like he'll just like he could be crying in the middle of a lecture, and then mm-hmm. you're just like, wow, like this is really deep. And then sometimes you're like, I wonder if he really wants to be crying, or if he like, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, to your point, it's like it's it's impactful. So yeah, I mean, it's easier to do in a counseling room than what it is in public ministry, and that's where I think being a pastor is so much of a harder public ministry. Because it is a public ministry. My my ministry is private ministry. Mm. I'm working with individuals. So if there's a woman describing stuff to me and she's not at all emotional about it, I'll start getting choked up for her behalf to show her that she should be expressing Mm. some emotion. Or Mm. if a counselor has had a breakthrough and she's having a really just an honest for the first time prayer with God, I'm sitting there with tears streaming down my face. It's beautiful. Mm. It's good. It's easy for me to do that in the small room. It's harder for me to do that in the public setting. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, Yeah. Well, that, that ties nicely. I just want to circle back on that, mm-hmm. that church culture question we had earlier. Like, is there, um, in your position as a counselor, are there things that the church can do and maybe specifically pastors or elders, um, pastors, especially in the preaching of the word, to address um, the mental health challenges of, of Christians and kind of where we're at as a society and, and maybe even specifically young people because it's obviously, as we all know, it's rising rates of anxiety, depression, suicide, all that stuff. Yeah, and that kind of also ties in with that parental question of how can parents talk to kids mm-hmm. about um, mental health issues. Mm-hmm. And I think, honestly, having breaking the ice and mentioning those things, um, just kind of addressing pastors there, um, good preaching will bring up problems in the, out of the woodwork. Mm-hmm. Right? And so if the pastor is scared to bring up specific issues, 
then people aren't going to be talking about it usually with him either. Mm-hmm. And that same goes with parents. Um, if you're unwilling or unable or kid embarrassed to talk about sex and pornography and drugs, your kids are going to pick up on those things. Um, I think having those honest conversations, knowing when to have those conversations, checking up on each other, I think as well, sorry, my mind's kind of going off in a rabbit stream here, but it, it kind of, I think we as Christians sometimes think that we can't judge each other, um, which is true to a degree. We can't judge each other in self-righteousness, but we are called to judge each other's works. And we're called to call into account as in a way of, sister, so-and-so, I notice that you've been sleeping with your boyfriend. Do you, like, that's not right. God's not calling us to do that. That's judging another person, but you're coming at that person with with love and trying to come alongside them. And so I think that's where maybe we have also gone wrong in a way that we don't feel like we can have those direct and honest conversations anymore with people. Mm. But I would say we have to know each other well enough to be able to speak into some of those things and then to not be afraid because it's it's a vulnerability and it's a risk on our behalf to open up our hearts to say to somebody saying, hey, I think that you're struggling in this area or are you struggling in this area? Because that could lead to mm-hmm. shut up and get out of my life, mind your own business kind mm-hmm. of thing, right? Like that's like, oh, okay, yeah. confrontation right there. Don't like that. Mm-hmm. But I think if we move more and more and start having a culture more and more of having some of those honest conversations and then calling each other on saying, dude, you are like over indulging your emotions right now <laughs> deal with it like get out of that situation yeah that that, mm. that 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 pig pit there stop wallowing in your own stuff and yeah go mm-hmm. help me clean up the shop kind of thing right yeah. like do something useful right? exactly yeah. yeah 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 interesting so do you think mental health like obviously when elders come to do home visits and whatnot um they're here to talk they're there to talk about your spiritual health and i'm sure physical i guess too they'll ask how you're doing and all that stuff but is it is that something worth highlighting or do you think the mental health side of things just comes out if you're talking about this spiritual health? Um, yeah, I think you have to have a discerning ear to listen to some of that. Um, so I would just, I mean, I, I think there would be, I'm always suspicious when people act like life is going hunky-dory. I'm like, yeah, what are you trying to hide? But that's maybe just because of my own counseling experience behind Things. So I think for an elder, um, if they're kind of getting the feeling that they're just being too, too Pollyanna about their mm-hmm. life, you know, just mm-hmm. have a discerning ear. But then I think in those places to recognize that people, it's hard for people to be vulnerable. And I think one of the big things that I would just challenge pastors and elders and good friends to do is don't be afraid of checking up and checking in. I think that was one of the things that I I really struggled with in some of my church communities, um, especially in the past, is people never checked up on you after sharing something. It was like weeks before they'd be like, hey, how's it going? And you'd be like, did you forget? (laughs) You know, Um, don't be afraid of checking in and make the time to check in. Right. Because if you don't check in, that's the other tough side of being vulnerable too, is that like it, one, you're sharing, you know, some, some personal stuff. And then two, yeah. you're kind of committing to uh, a deeper relationship and more accountability. <laughs> yeah, that as yeah. well. But then when you open yourself up and then all of a sudden, all you hear is crickets for the next nine weeks. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like mm-hmm. accountability, you got to keep talking with that person. I, I ain't going to talk to you again. If I don't hear crickets from you nine weeks after burying my heart, sorry, you're yeah. out of my life. Like <laughs> that, that's where my pride comes in and my own selfishness. Yeah. Right. But that. I think yeah. there's legitimacy in that. It's like, do you really care about me then? So yeah, you are committing to something when you do start to open, like be willing to be that person for people to dump on. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. That's yeah. I mean, it's something, um, 
I see in myself that's hard to, yeah, maybe, maybe make that commitment. But I see other people who are like, who are those, I view them as like those people who are like, those are the people that you go talk to because those are very easy people to talk to. But they like, they must be like burdened with like a hundred people's lives because they, they're so willing to talk to everybody all the time. So like those are the people that I would go to, those are the people that everyone goes to. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I try to like identify myself a little bit like what you were saying that like if we all try how, to be more how we could be a little bit yeah a little bit more like that yeah so. and, and and pray about it god mm. like god doesn't expect you to be everybody for everybody mm. right you are one person that's finite that's limited and so who are the people in your life that you might need to reach out intentionally to yeah right yeah that, that's the thing if, if you, you 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 don't have to pursue every single 399 people in your church community mm-hmm. and say, mm-hmm. talk to me. Cause yeah. they'll just be like, yeah, you're yeah. weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but talk to the people in your circles and in your life, yeah. or yeah. if they're not in your circles in your life and God has put them on your path, let's say you're walking down to church and you're seeing a teen run to the car and go hide in the car till her parents come to the car. Pursue yeah. that person. Mm-hmm. Right. There's, there's an issue there. There's a concern there. Interesting. Yeah. I think yeah, we don't have tons of time. This just, just reminds me of one thing. I, in, in a, a business, so I took business in school mm-hmm. and in and, and part of networking, the advice they gave us say, um, ask people what their pain points are in their business mm-hmm. because people, well, people love talking about their businesses mm-hmm. and it's not as personal as talking about themselves. So it's like, don't ask them about themselves because they don't want to talk about themselves because they have problems, but they don't want to talk about them. Um, ask them about their business and then they will let you know what the problem is with their business. And then that is a really, really good connection for you. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually brings you really close together. So the the point was be intentional about asking about the pain. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that I'm intentional about that with people. That's like, I may see it, but then I don't ask about it. Mm-hmm. And maybe I, maybe I'm like just being respectful. Like I respect, you know, maybe we're not those, that kind of friend. Like, yeah, I can't be everything to everyone. So maybe I'm not that person to you. So mm-hmm. I don't want to like overstep and be like, tell me your problems. Right. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, I guess like if you take that view, then you just never do it. And mm-hmm. then you're just never that person to anyone. Right. So yeah, that's where, that's where my mind went when you're saying that that's a, a really good way of doing here. that. Instead of asking, Hey, what are you str- suffering with? Tell me because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> people would be like, you're a little weird. I don't yeah, want to tell right. you. How can I pray for you? How people respond to that question is going to reveal a lot about their heart and about what they're willing to share. Because it's not about saying, tell me everything about your life and about your heart, but just simply, how can I pray for you? Interesting. And when the person opens up, however it is, then take that time to pray for them at that moment. There's, I mean, it's been Hmm. a little awkward for some people at my church because they've like kind of had conversations with them because they know that I'm a counselor and all of a sudden after a conversation, I'm like, how can I pray for you? They tell me and I'm like, can I pray for you right now? And they're like, here I'm like yeah here <laughs> yeah, you can do it anywhere yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. i don't even know if that, i asked that about myself enough like yeah i don't know that's interesting yeah that's yeah. a good way of doing it that's really good i think yeah. it's a good action item honestly to, to end it off yeah just for people. Well, yeah yeah good yeah so yeah. we cover a lot of ground i mean we could probably keep talking if we wanted to but we should keep this around 90 minutes or so so yeah it's been fantastic having you here thanks Rhonda. Yeah. you're welcome thank I'm you glad so I much be here i hope i didn't ramble too much so no I, sure. I think you made a lot of sense so yeah. i hope people find this to be useful mm-hmm. and and helpful and then yeah if you need help don't be don't be afraid to get help so yeah yeah definitely. for sure so you know where to find find Rhonda and uh, oh, yeah we can link a light house all that stuff so, and yeah cool so, yeah. Hopefully people been, have questions. Let us know. Um, 
we'll always be in touch with Rhonda too. So maybe we can get her to answer some yeah, further for the questions if, if necessary. Um, sure. But this, <laughs> this wasn't too scary, so it's all good. It's good <laughs> stuff. All right, folks. This is, uh, yeah, we had some real talk today. So yep. keep having some real talk yourselves. We'll catch you next time. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Real Talk. You can send us your feedback by emailing us at reformedrealtalk at gmail.com. You can find us on social media by looking for the handle Reformed Real Talk. You can find us online by going to realtalkpodcast.ca. We look forward to your feedback as that's what helps us grow and improve as podcasters. Real Talk is produced by myself, Lucas Holtfluer, Tyler Vanderwood, and Tim Van Wunderberg. The theme music was created by Calvin Hutton. The table and cabinet behind me were made by Ethan Vanderwood of Eureka Woods. And finally, this sign in the studio was made by Zebra Signs. That's it for now, folks. Catch you next time. Bye-bye.